0: You're as cold as ice, you're willing to sacrifice our love.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I am your host, Joey DeBeglio, and the New York Rangers have finally settled on a head coach this week. On Tuesday, the Rangers announced they had hired Peter LaViolette to be the 37th head coach in franchise history. Today I have a special guest to help break down and analyze the move. Returning to the show is newsday reporter for the Rangers, Colin Stevenson. Welcome back to the show, Colin. How are you?
0: Joey, I'm I'm good. I'm uh, I'm happy to have this done and behind us and you know, we can talk about it and um, you know, kind of get the summer started, I guess.
1: Yeah, we, we you were joking uh with me before the show started uh about how, you know, all the Rangers finally made a move. that kept <laughs> us on the edge of our seats for about a few weeks, about a month, actually, right? A little over a month now that they well, uh, it, it was
0: like May six, so it ended up being like uh not quite six weeks, so like five and a half weeks. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So Galant get uh it's out. You, you know, we have the the rumors like all over the place. We have maybe Quenville comes back. Patrick Wah, uh, John Hines gets released or uh gets fired by the Predators, and he's you know in the running, but. Ultimately, the Rangers settled on Peter Laviolette. And uh, also, I was telling you that this is like a complete role switch for, you know, in 2012, the Rangers had John Tortorella and the uh, the Flyers had Peter Laviolette. And of course, 2012 is famous because they had the, the uh, 24-7 series for the Winter Classic. And now Laviolette's coaching the Rangers and... Tortorella is coaching the Flyers. Who would have thought that would happen?
0: Well, you know, it's it's funny. That's this league, though, right? I mean, guys go around and 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 um, they get multiple shots at a job if they if they've done well, right? Which which Laviolette obviously has, and Torts has. Um, so uh, this is, I think, what the sixth job for uh, for Laviolette, if I'm not mistaken. Let's mm-hmm. see, it was okay. the Islanders, Carolina, um, and then. Philadelphia, Nashville, Washington is five and then the Rangers are six. So, yeah, I mean, he's been around, um, but he's but he's won. And that's and that's why he keeps getting hired. Right. I mean, he's he's, he's won a cup. He's been to, you know, he's been to three finals um, and he's the uh, the winningest American born NHL coach. Right. It's 752 regular season wins. And um, he's won more playoff games than he's lost. Uh, so uh, he's he's had success. And when you have success, um, you know, it's probably the best way to stay employed if you're a hockey coach.
1: Yep. He's been around the league for for a long time. And this is his fifth team in the Metropolitan Division. I know, like, the division hasn't been the same for forever. But five out of the eight teams in the division, he's now going to be coaching for. That's, uh,
0: yeah. For a while. Yeah. But so, I I mean, I guess you're familiar with the guy, (laughs) Right, I mean, like, he, you don't have to do a whole lot of research to find out about this guy, right? I mean, you know, all you got to do is, uh, I mean, you play him four times a year or whatever, and, um, you know, I mean, and and all the people that he knows, you know. So um, it probably wasn't that difficult to do back, you know, all the, the, the due diligence on, uh, on him as opposed to some other candidates that maybe don't have as much of a track record.
1: Mm-hmm. He's he's the uh, one of four coaches in NHL history to appear in the Stanley Cup Finals with three different teams, so that's some pretty pretty exclusive company there. So I don't know yeah. what I didn't know that <laughs> I don't know what the record is if if anybody's brought four different teams to a Cup final. I won't I won't speak too soon though. I won't speak too soon. I'll I'll pull back from that. Yeah yeah. I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll
0: have to look that up. I'll look that up and I'll let you know.
1: Yeah, that was, that's an interesting, that's an interesting one, but yeah, seven, 700 plus wins over 750 wins. Yeah. Um, uh, most successful, one of the most successful American coaches in the NHL of all time. Uh, so the retreads, I know people, people frown upon them, roll their eyes at them. Like, listen, I think this is uh this is a tough decision for Chris Drury, but I also think it's a safe decision. I was talking a little bit about it yesterday. Um. I think it's a safe decision because, you know, this was an underachieving year by, by uh, many standards for the Rangers. You know, after reaching the conference finals two years ago, they get bounced in the first round by the Devils, who were, had a good portion of their roster without any playoff experience. So you're losing seven to them. The expectations for at least next season have to be sky high. Like, I won't say cup or bust, but you got to at least win a round. The playoffs.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think that's probably fair. Um, I, I don't know that you can ever put that kind of pressure on a guy and say, you know, if you don't win the cup, the season's a failure. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, they, they, winning a round is, is a start. Um, and I think ideally, you know, you'd like to think that with the roster that they have, you, you could do more than that.
1: Mm hmm. Yep,
0: uh, and, and here's the other thing: if you're gonna lose a, a round, you're gonna lose in the first round. Don't lose to the Devils, you know, or the Islanders. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're gonna lose. You know, well, I guess you wouldn't play Boston in the first round, but uh, if you're gonna lose to Carolina or somebody, that's one thing. I, mean, I, I think it, you know, losing to the Devils really hurt.
1: Yeah, because I I agree with that because they the rangers and the devils i mean the devils have been kind of rebuilding for for a long time yeah if you, if you exclude that one year they did make the playoffs in 1718 they've been rebuilding for a long time and when the rangers started their rebuild it kind of follows it's been on the same timeline basically like the rangers and the devils have been rebuilding acquiring young talent at the same exact time right and to see them overcome the rangers before the rangers had the chance to you know, develop, fully develop their, their young talent. I guess it's saying something to front office executives for, uh, for the Rangers. So that's why that lost things a little bit more than like a loss to even the Islanders, I would say, because they've been, they've been competitive for consistently for a few years now for at least it's like 2016, I'd say. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, I've always thought like the players don't really get caught up in in the rivalry of course we in the media do the fans do and I and I think the owners a fan too you know I mean I don't think like you know I don't think the owner likes losing to the islanders and, and the devils um so i I think it is important from a rivalry standpoint um to beat those teams. But, uh, but also what you're saying is, is that, yes, the, the Rangers and, and and Devils were rebuilding kind of at the same time. And, it, you know, the Rangers we thought were ahead of schedule when they went to the Eastern conference final in 2022. And then, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, you expected them to boss the Devils and they, and they didn't. So now you're almost back to the drawing board and, they, and, and say, well, what did we do wrong? And, and, and to be, to be honest and to be fair, I think, this past season was just something was not, it was not the same for the Rangers as it was the season before. I mean, like, yes, they, you know, they had 107 points and, and, um, you know, it was a good season, um, in terms of the regular season, but they just, they didn't achieve as much and they may have overachieved the year before, but once you've set that bar, <laughs> you know, we want, we want to clear the bar, right. You don't, you don't want to like fall short of that bar. Um, and so it was, it was just a weird season. Uh, You know, I will say other than the fact that they, they were healthy, I mean, they didn't have any, any real injuries. Ryan Lindgren was the only, only regular who was injured for any significant amount of time. Phil Pito missed some games with, you know, we believe to be concussions. Um, And obviously, uh, um, Krausoff missed some games early in the season with an assortment of things. But, uh, for the most part, they were very healthy. But other than that, um, a lot of stuff just didn't go right the way you expected it to go. Um, you know, I, I guess you couldn't have expected Kreider to score 52 goals again. Uh, and he didn't. And he got 35 goals, which is a nice number. Um, but it just, it, you know, it just uh, wasn't quite the same. And so it remains to be seen if you know, a change behind the bench is going to kind of spark them to, you know, get back to where they were in 2022.
1: Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about how the players kind of responded like towards the end. It seemed like, I don't know, something felt off. I don't know if you felt any differently. Uh, Something felt off with uh, how the players um, left, you know, like with the exit interviews after they had lost to the devils. And as that, Series went from, like, game three to four, and then you go to game seven. It's just the players, they weren't playing the same way that we know that they they've played in the past, like, not even considering this past regular season, like last year uh, when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, guys like Jad, and Fox, uh, the playoffs left a lot to be desired from from those guys, Panarin even. Did you feel, like, the same way, like something – maybe mentally something felt different. Well,
0: sometimes you can't put a finger on it, but clearly Panarin, you know, he he didn't score a point. You know, he didn't have a goal. He played seven games. He had no goals. Uh, He had what, I don't know, two or three assists in the first two games, I think. And, and went scoreless in the last five. Uh, And that was a, that was an issue. Um, and, you, you know, there's any, there's always a bunch of things you can point to. You could point to, you know, getting Patrick Kane might have been overkill. You know, at the time when you got it, like, you know, you, you got Tarasenko and you think, okay, we've got the right wing we're looking to get. And then it became possible to get Patrick Kane and, and they went for it and you had to go for it, right? And you had to do all those crazy gymnastics and play two men short or a man short for a couple of nights and – um, because you didn't have the cap space to call up anybody from the minors, and uh, so you did all that. You went through that, and you get a guy, and Patrick Kane was one of the greatest players in our, in our generation. Um, and you know he wasn't necessarily what you were hoping he would be. You know he was okay. He got his points. Just didn't. You know he had a couple games where he he, he looked really really good, but he wasn't that dominant player, and and it just may have mess with the chemistry a little bit. I don't know. I don't, you know, it's, it's impossible to say yes or no, or, or this is exactly what happened, but yeah, something was off. Something was a little, a little off now. Um, with Zabanajad, you know, he's a guy, he's a two-way center. He plays against the best center on the other team. Um and so I think for him in a seven-game series, yes, you expect maybe more points out of him and goals and such. But I think he's better as a series as as the as the postseason goes longer, right? So if they if they would have gone if they would have gotten through that first round and gone to a second round, um, you know, he would have probably piled up more points. The, the Panarin thing, though, I think I, I don't really know what that's about. I don't know if that's a style thing or if if he you know because the game does change um in the playoffs from what it is in the regular season so it may be that uh it's harder for him in the the playoffs to produce uh than it is in the regular season just because of the way the game has changed so i don't know i mean these are these are things that you know you know time will tell on i suppose his his playoff numbers it's not like he's traditionally a bad playoff player Like, he had pretty good numbers. Uh, He had decent numbers, you know, in 2022. They weren't, you know, off the charts, eye-popping numbers, but they were good. Um, And he had good numbers with Columbus in the playoffs. He had good numbers with Chicago in the playoffs. So um, I don't think it's a thing that he's not a playoff player. I just think that, you know, something just wasn't quite right. And, you know, clearly – you know, we're going to put it on on Gallant, um, you know, Chris Jury, I guess, had some differences with Gallant. And then after talking to all the players, um, apparently there was feedback that suggested that, you know, some of the stuff that didn't work was, was due to him. I know the players were frustrated by the, you know, the frequency with which he changed the lines. Um, you know, that's the one thing that, that is easy for us to notice. You know, you notice that these two guys are playing with a different guy on this shift. And um the system stuff, I think most of the players, the veteran players anyway, is a manager and Panarin and Kreider, I mean, they kind of feel like they know what they're doing and and uh and let us do what we do. And I think that was the thing that bothered them more about David Quinn is like, you know, he wanted them to do this, that or the other, and they and they want to do they want to play well, you know, the best way for them. Um, and I think Gallant was probably more inclined to allow the players to play the best way for them. But still, you know, if the best way for them is to play East-West hockey, you know, and there's, there comes a time where you need to play North-South hockey, you know, there's always going to be a problem. And so I suppose the challenge for any coach is to get these East-West players to play North-South when they need to.
1: Mm-hmm. I've said this. I've said it before on the show. I think it's a very good observation. Uh, I think Vince was talking about how some were saying that uh, Glant, there was issues with Glant and in his in-game adjustments. So like right. like you said, yeah. playing in North in East West style, but when you have to play in North South style, shifting to that, Mike, I'm, I'm interested to see if Laviolette is is better at doing that because he's more experienced in the league. He's got, what, over 20 years of experience coaching behind an NHL bench. So maybe, you know, he not only gives the message that, that you know, you got to change the style when the team is trapping or playing all their guys back, but also how he says it too, like how he yeah. presents itself too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's how you talk to a guy and how you get that message across is important to these guys. They're not robots. They're people, um, and in in the case of you know it was band Panarin and Kreider, I mean they're are people who have had success in this league doing things, you know that that uh, play to their styles respectively. So, you know if you're gonna tell a guy, well I I don't want you to play to your style because I want you to make this sacrifice and do this thing for the team you know, you have to get him to buy in. And in order to do that, you know, you have to find the right way to approach him about that kind of thing. So, yeah, you'll see. I mean, and that's the, you know, when they hired David Quinn, it was probably a simpler um, assignment, right? I mean, they knew they were rebuilding. They knew they were going to have a lot of young guys. They wanted a a coach who had experience with young guys who could kind of groom these young guys. And so Quinn was here for three years. Um, and then when it was time to move on from him, now the challenge became, okay, uh, we need a guy who can relate to our veteran players. You know, some of those young players that are here that, you know, that he, he did a great job with, for instance, Pablo Butchnevich. And, um, you know, I think he, he identified, you know, Phil Hedel and, and did some good work with him. And, um, but now you need somebody that's going to, you know, get the most out of Panarin and then the most out of Zibanejad and most out of, you know, all these other guys. So um, we'll see if if, if uh, La Violette can do some of the same things that Gallant was good at and also do some of the things better that Gallant was not good at. You know what I mean? Like, because that's ultimately what you need. You need a guy who, who can do all those same things Gallant was good at and, and also – is better and, you know, and the things that Galant was, was weak at, you know, maybe do a better job in those areas.
1: I'm interested to hear uh, if you have heard anything about like Lobulette's, uh main style for, for his teams. Uh, I've heard that he, he uh, is very, he's like focused on the forecheck, but also that his teams are very good off the rush. Um, how is, is he going to inject, both of that, or is it going to be more one-sided than the other? Because I've I've heard fans say that you know, listen, the, the Rangers were too skilled up front. They didn't have enough guys to win puck battles when the games mattered against the Devils. So I'm I don't know how his what style he's going to bring to the table. What well, what are the Rangers hoping for in that hire?
0: And that's and that's the that's another interesting question because I was talking to someone else today, and it's like. You know, the roster is not going to be very different from what it was this year. Uh, you take away uh, um, Tarasenko and, and Kane, um, and I don't know how much different the roster is going to be. You know, uh, uh, Tyler Mott is a free agent. Uh, I, I think they'd like to, to bring him back if they could. Um They'll obviously. I don't think they'll bring back Nico Mikola, so that they'll have a, an opening at the back end there, and maybe one of the young guys can come up and take that. Um, we'll see if they if they can, you know, if Will Cooley, uh, who had a nice season, rookie season in Hartford, you know, can can win a job. We'll see if Brandon Othman, who you know was their first round pick in twenty twenty one, just finished up a nice junior career. Um, we'll see if he can make the team. Um, but I, I don't know that they have well, – they certainly don't have enough cap space to go out and just go get guys that play the way they want to. They're going to have to find ways of making it work with the guys they have for the most part. Um, and the way the team is built – if you look at the way the team is built, that that kid line um, was was not a traditional third line. It's more like a second second line, you know what I mean, or 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 a third first line or whatever. It's not a traditional grinding uh, four checking kind of you know gritty kind of third line like a lot of teams like to have. So you know the question is, do you have the personnel to to play that four check game, that aggressive four check game? Because you know you're not getting that out of Panarin and Kreider. You know what I mean? So, you know, can you ask, you know, Kako is not the fastest guy in the world. He's not the most physical guy in the world. I mean, can you ask Kako or, or Lafreniere to, to, to forecheck and grind and bang bodies and things like that? You know, can you just rely on your fourth line and, you know, get put all your grinders and bangers on the fourth line and, and, and have that be the, the group that forechecks for you? I mean, is that going to work? I mean, I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see if, if, Say, for instance, uh, Lafreniere, um, who a lot of people are down on. Um, and I don't know why necessarily, but I guess people expected more. But it would be interesting to see if a guy like that um, can add things to his game to be, you know, because he can throw the body once in a while. So if he can be that physical grinding, chippy in your face kind of player that they seem to be lacking, well, that'd be great. You know who could do it probably is, is Will Cooley. But, um, but he's a young guy and, and we'll, you know, we'll see if he makes a team and, and, and if he does, you know, where in the lineup he's going to fit.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask you. So, you know, I've seen the Rangers pre- seem to prefer older guys over guy over younger players like uh, Zach Jones, for example, they, you know, they went with Ben Harper for a good portion of last year when they were, you know, shorthanded uh, went with injuries and stuff like that over, over, like I said, Zach Jones also, you know, They would throw Ryan Carpenter out there, even Reeves in in the past. So is that is that like an indication that jury is going to be bargain bin shopping in free agency for guys like like a Dryden Hunt from a couple years ago, for for cheap contracts? I think think he has to.
0: Yeah, I think he has to. I I don't. You know, he doesn't have a lot of money to play with. I mean, he's got to pay Keandre Miller. Um, He's gonna. I mean, I don't think LaFreniere is gonna cost a ton of money. Um, but there's just not a lot of, uh, you know, not a lot of space to work with. I mean, he's, um, you know, if you look at the backup goalie situation, um, Halak signed a one-year deal, which means you got to re-sign him again, right? Uh, he had a good year for you as a backup, uh, did everything you, you asked him to do. Um, I would think you'd want him to come back for the same amount of money that he made. He played for last year, you know, 1.5 million. But what if he gets an offer from somebody else for two million? You know what I mean. Like, does he come back? And if he if if he doesn't come back, then you got to go find a guy, and you got to find a guy that's going to play for this much money. And you know, so it's uh, it's it's he's got some work to do, Chris Drury. and uh, that's one of the reasons why I think you know you had to get this coaching hire out of the way. Yes, he took five and a half weeks. He, you know, he waited to see you know who would get fired, and you know if uh, you know, um, Sullivan would come, would shake loose out of Pittsburgh over there. He waited to see if uh, if if Keefe would would shake loose in Toronto, and you know those guys ended up staying where they where they were. Uh, and he kind of waited and waited and waited. And now it's it's not a great look that okay, this was the front runner from day one. It took you five and a half weeks to get it done. You know, you'd like to think, you know, if you found your guy, if this guy is really the guy you really wanted, you would have gotten it done a lot sooner. Right. But, you know, he was deliberate about it. He waited to see what came out. John Hines got fired, as you said. And, and so, you know, he's able to, to talk to him. Um, but he needed to have a coach in place, not necessarily for the draft, but for sure for free agency, because, you know, if you're going to sign a free agent. And I don't know that they're going to be terribly active and certainly not for high-end free agents. But if you're going to sign a free agent, I mean, you should have a coach in place that can tell you, I like that guy. I don't like that guy. And, and, and you know, at the same time, you can go to the free agent and say, this is our coach. He likes you or he's going to ask you to do this or whatever, whatever. So they needed to get that done before free agency, which is not that far away. I mean, it's like two weeks away now. So, um, so you know, he took as much time as he could and he, and he hired a coach. And, and now he's got to go out and and – as you say bargain bin shopping um to, to to fill out the lineup i mean i i don't have the numbers in front of me exactly but um you know i i know that they're you know, they're losing those two right wings and and uh they're losing mikola so you are going to hope that you're going to fill in some at least some of those with with guys coming up from hartford on on entry level contracts because you know that's going to save you money mm-hmm
1: the Rangers are going to have a 11.7 million in cap space to uh, re-sign Lafreniere, Tyler Mott, and DeAndre Miller, and a backup goalie. So you know this. Right, it, and
0: it, and forget, don't forget, there's a sixth defenseman that you got to yep, sign in. I was going to say he's,
1: uh, he's
0: going to be the seventh, but you need somebody that's got to fit in there, and, and if it's a guy on an entry-level contract making 925, then that would be
1: great right and it's also i mean in the past recently we've seen the rangers go with 22 23 men rosters right out of the gate i don't think they're going to be able to do that with the cap space this year unless you know drury is able to negotiate like a a team-friendly deal with lafreniere and miller i, I would say because you know 22 is it's a lot it's a lot of players right now the rangers have 14 players and that's a that's less than 12 million to sign what eight players so like if you take if you bring the roster to 21 instead of 22 that's 12 million to sign seven players so you save a little bit
0: yeah no and that's fine i mean it, uh and you could do that i mean it, the thing about the the rangers the you know the from a logistical standpoint hartford's only two hours away right and and um so you can stash guys in Hartford and you know and, and if they have if they don't have to play waivers or whatever, you can you can recall them, you know, as you need them. And there's no reason to have them hanging around here, hanging around uh if they're not playing, right? So you mentioned um you know Zach Jones versus Ben Harper. Um, and that's that's a good example of a young guy, like if he's not gonna be in the lineup every night then isn't he better off being in the lineup every night in Hartford, you know? Um, and, then if, and then if there's an injury or something and you need him, then you can just go get him. So it's not like, you know, your farm your farm team is two time zones away. I mean, you know, it's a two-hour drive. The guy can be here, you know, if, if a guy gets hurt in a game, you know, you can have a replacement there for practice the next day. So it's uh, – you know i think it's a, it's a lot uh easier to than to just carry 21 instead of you know 22 or 23
1: mm-hmm. and speaking of like those contracts is there any i haven't heard any updates on like negotiations with like miller no. or Lafreniere. no I, love um,
0: I you know obviously as a general manager he's got a lot of things to do um but i think i would assume that the you know the, the coach thing was probably you know priority number one um and no i haven't heard anything about uh miller or or, uh or uh you know um lafreniere um but yeah i mean that's that's all stuff that's you know is gonna he's gonna be able to turn to now i mean and and figure out how much are these guys worth you know they're restricted um So you would think that he has leverage on him, but, you know, he really, really, really likes Keandre. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he's going to have to pay him.
1: Yeah. Uh, Also, I also want to see if – because I saw a report that uh, the assistants wouldn't be returning if the Rangers hired a a new head coach. Um, I'm interested to see if the Rangers get replacement assistants before they extend Miller, LaFreniere, Tyler Mott, or-
0: I think that's probably less of a of a priority. Although I I don't know if um you know if Laviolette has assistants who travel with him. Like you know, Gallant had two guys that you know go with him everywhere. Um. I don't know if, if uh, Laviolette is the same way, but, you know, Gordon Murphy, I, I, you know, I understand won't be back. Um, So I, I think that there's, he's going to have to fill out a staff, right? I mean, assuming, assuming uh, Benny Alaire comes back and I don't see that guy going anywhere. Uh, you're still going to need, you're going to need somebody to run your defense. You're going to need somebody to run your power play um and maybe another guy you know so you know there's there's some work there to do but but i would think Laviolette's going to be heavily involved in in that uh in that process and and we'll we'll uh you know the media will get to meet Laviolette uh, on tuesday of next week so i'm sure that that you know if they haven't hired anybody then that'll be a topic of discussion at that time mm-hmm.
1: yeah and i mean the with the with the assistant with the assistant coaches uh they didn't announce that Alaire was staying already I thought they did that already uh a while ago
0: i i i don't know if they if they if you announce that a guy's staying i think it's more like you announce that a guy's not coming back
1: um yeah it was they they said they uh forget who it was on the, the roster that wasn't coming back and in that time it was like everybody except for Alaire. um
0: well I think that initially they had said that the the glance two, um you know the other two guys have left but Murphy was still Gordon Murphy was still around and then but now that that uh lobbyette's been hired it doesn't
1: seem like Murphy's going to be around anymore
0: so I, I don't know we'll see I mean I yeah I
1: don't Maybe you're right. Maybe I missed it. Uh, but, um, Mike Kelly know. and Jim Midgley were really for yeah. their duties.
0: Yeah, those guys. Um, but Gordon
1: Murphy wasn't. Not old. at that time. Yeah, not at that time. Yeah. But did I read it right? Mark Chacho? I think that's how you say his name. The skills yeah. coach. He's staying?
0: Well, I, I mean, I suppose that'll be uh, that's to be determined. I mean, I haven't heard that he's not. You know, I, I don't see why you know he's not a bench coach he's a guy who works with the players on conditioning and things like that so um I suppose as far as I know he's staying I don't I don't know um I don't know of any any reason why he wouldn't but you know anything could happen with with uh, with hockey and particularly with uh, you know Chris Jury as your GM mm-hmm.
1: I know I know some people wanted Knoblock to you know be the head coach of of the team kind of go the route the Jay Woodcroft, Jared Bednar, John Cooper route, where you get a guy that wins at every level, like AHL or ECHL, and then goes to the NHL. Um is it do you think like Drury or Laviolette could potentially consider Knoblock as a as a as a bench role on, sure, on the yeah. NHL team?
0: Yeah, why not? I mean, I, I think it might not be a bad idea. Um, uh, if you're grooming this guy to be a head coach, an NHL head coach, that would seem to be, uh, you know, a good thing to do. But I don't know that. Yeah, you know, I think the Rangers got to do what's best for the Rangers, right? And Laviolette has got to do what's best for Laviolette. So, you know, I'm sure that he'll get considered uh, for one of those positions, but. Um you know I can't I don't I don't know whether he'd be better served or, or they'd be better served having him on the bench here or in Hartford running the bench down there. Um you know one of the things that um that Knobloch did when he became the Hartford coach was he was able to align sort of the Rangers system, whatever the Rangers were playing up at the top you know, they were going to play similarly down, you know, in Hartford. And that obviously is, is what you want to do. So, I mean, he's done a good job with that. He's developed some players. Um, and, you know, I I think the next step for him would be to be an assistant on on an NHL bench, but you know, whether they feel like, uh, he can help them in that way is up to them.
1: Mm -hmm. And one last question for you before we wrap this up. Um, Vegas Golden Knights, congratulations. They won the Stanley Cup six years in existence, and they already have one Stanley Cup. It's,
0: uh, right, and they've been to the finals twice, right? <laughs> yeah, they've
1: been to the finals twice. And I know you, you called it out. You pointed it out. Brett Howden, Stanley Cup champion. Brett Howden, two goals in, what was it, game two? Like yeah. Game two, he had two goals. And I don't know about you, but I, I from watching that, I thought he looked great in the entire playoff run. I thought he looked great for, for the Golden Knights.
0: You know the interesting thing is, toward the end of his time, and you know, with the Rangers, he was kind of a whipping boy uh, for the fans. Like he didn't really do much um, in the same. way. He didn't produce much. He didn't produce a lot of goals and stuff. But he didn't get a lot of ice time. I think the last year he was with the Rangers, he had one goal and it was an empty matter. Um Didn't get a lot of ice time. But you know, he's an okay face-off guy, and, he, and he's a gritty guy, and And he kind of would look good on the Rangers now, I think, you know, to, to be one of those gritty type players that they seem to not have enough of. Um, But at the time, you know, they traded a a young gritty guy that they weren't sure that they had, you know, they weren't going to be able to pay. um, Got a pick and then went out and got Ryan Reeves and they got, you know, Barkley Goudreau. And so those two guys were, going to be the grit, you know, and they got Sammy Blake. Um, So those, those guys were the grit and they were able to move on from Ben Howard, uh, Brett Harden, Howden because they weren't, they were going to have trouble paying him. Um, so they did what they had to do. And, you know, it worked out for Brett Howden that, you know, he wins a cup, and, you know, two years later and, and, you know, I'm not hating on the guy. Good for him. You know I mean? It's uh he's a good guy. He was a very popular guy in the locker room and uh, you know, and I'm sure everybody's happy for him.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm I'm happy that he won. I'm happy that he's finding success. Um, I'm just I'm bringing this up. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I feel you know you said he was the whipping boy from fans, and yeah, oh whipping
0: fans. boy, not no whipping boy. You know, it is, and,
1: uh, one of those man. one of them. He
0: was one of them.
1: Yeah. Sure. So, but I I see fans like you know voice their frustrations in that like they the Rangers have some trouble getting the guys that they they draft or acquire their forwards especially to get it going in in a timely manner uh so to say right like um i a lot of people i see the i see this argument come up a lot like oh if the rangers give lafreniere more ice time then he would be a uh, a top line player right but like i think with howden he got a he didn't have a, a huge amount of ice time, but he did get a lot of opportunities. like he played he played a lot of fourth line minutes. he was consistently out there over guys like Gautier or or uh, any other, any other guy that the Rangers had uh, down there um, night in and nine out and he would play the penalty kill too. whereas a guy like uh, like Lafreniere doesn't get power play time, no penalty kill time or Coo doesn't get much penalty kill time, uh, no power play time essentially. But it almost makes me think like, you know, maybe ice time doesn't really make a player take a player from one step to the next. Like doesn't have that much weight on it and that it's something else and that it's maybe more fundamentally based. Uh, because so- how did his, his uh, is like almost on an upward projection in his time as a Golden Knight? Like he's carved out a really, really nice role with where he's at.
0: Yeah, so I, I think you talk about ice time and a player's, you know, you know, being crucial or not crucial to a, a player's success, and it reminds me of, you know, one thing I've never forgotten. This, you know, one of my my first year covering hockey, um, the you know the Rangers coach at the time, Roger Nielsen, I, I sat with him and you know was doing a feature on a player, a feature story on a player. And, and one of the things that he said to me, and it stuck with me all these years is he said, players always think they need more ice time to be better. And he said, in, re- in reality, it's the opposite is true. They need to be better in order to deserve more ice time. And, and that certainly is true. In and in a, in, a, in a player like uh, Brett Howden, I think the kind of player he is or has been to this point in, in the NHL you know, he's got good size and he's you know he's an, he's a reliable two-way player he profiles as a as a bottom six forward right um and so no matter like he's going to get he's going to have to play with you know 10 minutes of ice time a night as opposed to 18 um so i mean there's there's only so much uh ice time you know is only going to be such so much of a factor with him i mean like the things that he does he wins face off he kills penalties as you pointed out um he can hit people uh he can check that's that's kind of like third line territory or fourth line territory and if you look at um when he came into the league in that 1819 season um he made the team over Elias anderson right and Elias anderson had been um the seventh pick overall in whatever year it was 2017 i think and uh and um so 17 18 went back to sweden came played in the minor leagues and and we thought he was gonna we thought leis was gonna make the team in 2018 in, in the training camp and he didn't um and, and Brett howden did and and part of it was you know what what jeff Gorton said at the time he didn't want leah Anderson here playing seven minutes a night well that he didn't see Leas as being that type of player but Brett Howden was a different type of player and he could be productive playing 7 minutes a night no he's not going to score 20 goals doing that but he could give you something in those 7 or 8 minutes or 10 minutes um that is going to help the team um in 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 a way where you know if you're playing you know Lafreniere let's say 11 minutes a night you know I don't know how much he's going to give you but Brett Howden, you're not expecting much from him. And so if you play him in those 11 minutes, let's say, you know, anything that he, he does, if he wins a faceoff or if he blocks a shot or something, that's going to help you. So, I mean, he's a, just a different kind of player. Um, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, he's he's found, as you said, a, a niche there in, in, in Vegas. Uh, and he could have done the same thing here in, in New York, um, but, you know, just probably was going to cost a little bit too much to keep him.
1: Mm-hmm. So he found his role basically, and yeah. you know, I guess that's what I'm I'm getting from from what you're saying. And he's doing he's doing a uh, he did a fine job this season, uh, helping the Golden Knights win a Stanley Cup. Now I'm interested to see like can Laviolette and help Lafreniere, Kako, come up with an identity to carve out a a, a set role on the team. Yeah. Um, and also uh before before I have your answer is um I I kind of like have I know like a pointed out like a similarity something that reminded me of this is uh in uh 2013-14 Alan Vinho. I know this is like your first, this was before you you started covering. Well, the yeah, my
0: time as a team.
1: Yeah. But when Alan Vigno came came over, his first year as coach of the Rangers, um Derek Broussard and Matt Zuccarello were, were guys that had something to prove like Zuccarello was, you know, bouncing back and forth between Hartford and, uh, and the, the, the NHL, like Forterello would put him in the lineup, take him out of the lineup over guys like Asham, Taylor Pyatt. And then Derek Broussard, they acquired from, from Columbus in the, the Rick Nash trade or not the Rick Nash, the uh, Marion Gabbick trade. And in, Alan Vino's first year, those guys became the third line, the 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 nucleus of that that roster. They were two of their better players. So I'm interested. Like, do you think Laviolette could have that same effect with a guy like Heedle or Kako or Lafreniere, for instance? I
0: I, yeah, but I mean Heedle Heedle, I think is 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 a good player, and I think we all know that. Um, Kako and Lafreniere probably have more proof. the you know the and I think Kaka will get a shot because as 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 we said earlier, if you just look at the left side versus the right side, they don't have a lot of right wings, natural right wings, and he's one of them. So I think he's gonna he's gonna get, you know, quality ice time playing with good players as a right wing. The, the Lafreniere is the tricky one because whether it was Lafreniere or it was Gallant, um, they tried switching him from left wing to right and never kind of stuck with it, right? Like uh, he, you know, he always kind of kept wanting to put him back on left. And, and uh, you know, as, as you know, you've got Panarin and, and Kreider in front of him. So unless, you know, Kreider scored 35 goals. So, you know, and, I, and, and Panarin led your team in points. So I don't see Lafreniere playing ahead of either of those guys right now. And he's now... Well, he's just finished his third year, right? So he's going into his fourth year. He's still a young player. Um, but can he switch to the right side in order to get into the top six? I don't know. Uh, and we'll see if LaViolette La is inclined to, to try that or just leave him where he is. Um, the, 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 it's, a, it's a tricky thing. I remember thinking in the at the start of last season, you remember the the season, the way the season started. um, Kako was playing up in the lineup. I think he was playing on uh, the first line. He started the season on the first line with Kreider and Zbanejad. And Kraftsov started the season on the second line with Panarin and Trocek. Uh, Kraftsov got hurt in that first game, and they put um, Lafreniere – up um, on the second line. Um, and that worked for a while, and, and and eventually, you know, eventually somehow you looked and, oh, he's not comfortable on the right side. I don't know whether he wasn't comfortable on the right side or whether Gallant wasn't comfortable with him on the right side or if it was just an excuse because he wanted to put the kid line back together. I don't know. But eventually it didn't last. You know, he looked he was on, good
1: in those couple games, Right. He, first 15 he, he, games on the right yeah. side with Panarin. That was the best he yeah. looked on the right side.
0: But it didn't, it didn't last for whatever reason. Whether that's his fault or Glant's fault, I don't know. But, you know, if he's not going to switch to the right side, then he's going to be the third line left wing. Now, what I was going to say is at that point, I remember early in the season when you know, when you had Kako up on the first wing, uh, first line, and you had uh, Lafreniere up on the second line, I'm looking at Hedl on the third line. I'm saying, well, who's he playing with? You know, I was wondering, like, you know, he's playing with, I don't know. He's got uh, some nights he's got, you know, Goudreau Vissi. on the one side or some nights he's got VC on the one side. You know, sometimes he had, uh, you know, Sammy Blay or, you know, they want to, whatever, you know. But it was just like it was Phil and whoever. So, like, Phil needs somebody to play with, also. Like, if he's going to be your third line center, you need a good player on the third line. So, it may be that, you know, Phil and Lafreniere are those two good players, and then you put a banger on the other side, or maybe, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But
1: that's where that bargain bin shopping could come into play. Yeah, you can't
0: just leave Phil on the third line by himself. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, I was talking with some people about how you know, other teams have dedicated third and fourth line players on there, like guys that can only play the the fourth line. And while it's great that VZ and Goudreau can play in the top six, having guys that just stay in the, establish themselves on the fourth line, like opens it up, just makes the holes like more apparent for like what you need to fill, what you need to go out and acquire.
0: Well, so, VC, when he, you know, obviously he came to camp on a tryout, um, the year before he had been a fourth liner in New Jersey, fourth liner slash penalty killer in New Jersey, came to camp on a tryout, uh, hoping to make the team as a fourth liner penalty killer. And that was, that was ultimately what he was supposed to be. And then, you know, injuries and whatever craft didn't pan out. Um, and he ended up VC did playing, in the top nine for most of the seat for almost all the season. Right. Um, uh, And finally it got to the point where after the trade deadline and every, and they had their whole team and they got, you know, they got Patrick Kane and, you know, watching, you know, Jimmy Vesey and and Barkley Goudreau on the fourth line, you know, it was, uh, it felt like, you know, like here's a guy playing on the fourth line that's been playing in in the top nine for the whole season that it felt like it, you know, wasn't right. But, that's really what he was supposed to be all along. So, um, but again, if, if, if Jimmy VCs on your fourth line, is that really a, that then you need two other four checkers, don't you? You need two other, he's not a particularly physical player. He's not, I mean, he's a smart player. He's a strong, you know, sound defensive player. He can kill penalties for you and he can move up if in the event of an injury, or if you want to change something up and, and you need to move up, he can do that. But, he's not exactly that crash and bang 4 checking fourth liner that we're talking about that they need. Right. So I don't, I don't know what you do. I, you know, you got to go get a guy that can do that. Mm-hmm. And even, even Tyler Mott um, who they really like and, and who played well, he was playing on the right side. He's a left wing too. You know? So like they're just right now, they're just unbalanced and overloaded on the left side. You got Panarin, you got Kreider, you got VC, you got Lafreniere, you got Mott, That's five left wings. If if Will Cooley makes a team, that's that's another left wing. Some of those guys are going to have to play on the right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, that's interesting. You bring up like the the check aspect on the fourth line. I I had always just assumed that that was a good fourth line: VZ, Goudreau, and Mott, Which I think it is. It's just, yeah, you know, I, I think it is.
0: But I mean, like, you know, the, I, I the skill think
1: that are like, I mean. Mott is a very good, like, forechecking kind of player. Yes, yes. draw is good both ends of the ice, and is and very good defensively. So I yes. think it, I think it, that could stay as a, a fourth line. But what you were saying earlier about who's playing with Heedle, I don't know who it could be. Like, do the Rangers trust Othman enough to, to you know, Bernie? Another left wing, Andre? by the way.
0: He's another a left, left wing,
1: person. yep. <laughs> Will Cooley.
0: Yeah. Uh. Like, Okan and Cooley are both left wings. Right. They,
1: they, they, you know, like we, somebody has to play. At least two people are going to have to play on the right side.
0: Right. So I, I think you know maybe you can make a trade. Maybe you could trade somebody and, um, you know, and get a right-handed shot that can play the right side that can go forecheck. Ideally, you know, you know, what would be great on this team. Jesper Fast.
1: if only they gave him the extra year right
0: yeah um so but yeah if they could find a, a four checker right wing who could you know play that third line right wing spot that would be great you know if they can't then they're gonna have to move tyler mott or somebody to the right side
1: gonna be it's gonna be interesting to, to see what happens. I mean there's still obviously a lot of time in the offseason. It's only just started this is the first move that the Rangers have made like official move like big move. Then there's the draft coming up and then free agency after that's the big one free agency is what do they do with their limited amount of cap space. Yeah you said, I mean, it, you said it before they're not gonna go after like the the top free agents in the class and I think yeah. it's a weaker class this year actually too.
0: Right. No, they, they don't have the money to go get big name guys, but if they can bring back Tyler Mott, uh, fit him in the cap, you know, they need a backup goalie, which, you know, I think they'd be fine with bringing back Halak, you know, if Halak goes somewhere else and you got to find a replacement. Um, and they need somebody to play as their sixth defenseman, you know, presuming Ben Harper is going to be your seventh. You need somebody to be your sixth. Now, You mentioned earlier Zach Jones uh, versus Ben Harper. And, you know, I never liked Zach Jones in that sixth role. I didn't feel like um, what they needed him to do was his strong suit, right? They needed a big body in that spot, and that wasn't Zach, you know. Um, He's a good player. He can do things, you know, and – You know, Maybe he could play if you had the absolute right big-body stay-at-home guy on the right side to play with him. But for now, uh, I don't like him as the third-pair lefty if Braden Schneider is going to be the third-pair righty. So I think Schneider, I think, is a good player, and I'd like for him to not be a straight stay-at-home guy. You know, I think that's kind of what Zach needs right now. But we'll see. Maybe Zach puts on a couple pounds, and uh, you know, and, and maybe added some grit to his game in, in the minor leagues. And and, uh, and you know, we'll see what happens in training camp if if he's the guy, or if they have to go and they'll, they'll probably bring somebody in on a tryout or something, and and see uh, see how that goes. But yeah, they're you know, they don't have a lot of money to go, you know, get a get a lot of big name guys.
1: Mm -hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna be real tight the razor thin the cap space uh and uh you know got to figure out what what to give Miller Lafreniere like you said they probably really like Goundre Miller and uh it would be a shame if they couldn't get him extended um and I've also heard like extended past like you know a bridge deal because then then you risk him going to unrestricted free agency a little early so you know, maybe they lock them up now. If they well, can.
0: you know, I don't know what the – we're operating under the theory that the, uh, that the salary cap is going to go up $1 million. You know, we'll see. I mean, what if, you know, if the Players Association and the league are able to come to some sort of deal or compromise and the salary cap goes up a little bit more, then that would give them some more flexibility. So mm-hmm. that is something that – I mean, I, it's I'm not holding my breath waiting to see that, but, you know, if that does happen, then that would
1: help. Yeah, I think for this year, I think it's uh, for for next year. I mean, it's going to be a one million dollar increase, and then after that, we'll we'll see what happens for for that.
0: So that's why I'm saying, like, if you could get, uh, you know, I mean, I know you don't want a bridge deal with Keandre, but if you got to do, you know, if you got to do that, then that's what you got to do, and then you know, you hope that down the road, when the salary cap is is bigger, then you know, you'll have more money to pay him.
1: Mm-hmm. yep and then you also have to keep in mind in a couple of years just circuits contract is coming up uh two years so uh you know how you're gonna handle that hopefully by then the cap will be at a place where you know the rangers will have enough flexibility to you know make moves and stuff and keep him around yeah I mean, if they lost you're
0: talking you're talking down the road and i'm thinking about training camp you know yeah but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's they've got a couple of options, you know. I mean, Lindgren and uh, Ryan Lindgren and and Barkley Goudreau are are the two names that everybody has said. Well, maybe they could trade one of those guys um, because they don't have the trade protection. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm if I want to trade Ryan Lindgren right now.
1: <laughs> <I know. laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, I'm I'm in that same boat. I can't. <laughs> I can't stomach that feeling right
0: now really, I, don't, I don't know if i want to do that I don't, I don't want to go there so you know i mean it's that's what's interesting about it. that's what's interesting about a salary cap league i mean forces you to make you know really hard choices mm-hmm.
1: yep all right well colin we're going to wrap this up thanks so much for joining me on the episode uh i hope the interview with uh La Violette goes well i hope he tells all of his secrets <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I'm not expecting that, but but you know it's it's fine. I'm sure he'll say all the right things, and and you know we'll we'll throw as many uh, interesting questions as, as we can, Adam, and, and see what see what we get back.
1: Hey, Rangers fans! Thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes Pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. time. No!